0: Hi, welcome to the Music uh, Made Me podcast from TuneCore. Uh, my name is Chris Mooney. My guests today are Courtney Harding and Tatiana Moroz.
1: Hello, hey everybody.
0: That was Courtney and Tatiana, and let me introduce, give you a little uh, background. Courtney is the founder of Friends with Holograms. Uh, prior to founding that, she led business development and partnerships at cutting-edge VR agency Moth and Flame, creating content for such brands as AT and T, MTV. RAM and Discovery Channel. She has also led biz dev at numerous tech startups and served as music editor at Billboard. She is a sought-after speaker on VR, having spoken at South by Southwest, VR LA, VR DC, and Digital Taipei, and has published thought leadership for Upload VR and Adweek. She teaches writing about popular music at NYU, and you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at. at Courtney Harding, C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-H-A-R-D-I-N-G. Our other guest is Tatiana Moroz. She is one of the premier artists in the blockchain and liberty activist communities. She performs folk style of revolutionary 60s and 70s uh, folk blended with pop, alt country, rock and blues. And her releases are funded solely by cryptocurrency. She's the creator of Tatiana Coin, the world's first ever artist cryptocurrency, the founder of Crypto Media Hub, a PR and marketing and advertising agency for the Bitcoin space. The Tatiana Show is a podcast that streams on several outlets, including Let's Talk Bitcoin Network, and is growing um, her following with thousands of listeners each week. She recently had on uh, her show George Howard. Who was a founder of TuneCore? I recommend you checking her out her podcast. Uh, and I especially found that one uh, great. Uh, she's a regular guest at conferences, podcasts, article, you know, in articles and TV talking about the subject. You can find out more about her at her website, Tatiana Moroz, T A T I A N A M O R O Z dot and on her Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Crypto Media Hub. Her Twitter is Queen Tatiana. So, Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Courtney and Tatiana.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah. Uh, So I've given some background, but I also just wanted to have you guys give a little bit of, you know, sort of like how you came to be sort of experts in your respective fields. Courtney, do you want to first talk about VR, AR, and how you sort of like really entered the space?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a music business and music tech background. Um, And I was, you know, both those were really amazing. So I went to a VR event, I want to say three years ago now, which is kind of insane. Um, It was at MoMA PS1, it was in the dome. And it was an artist called Erica Anderson, who's fantastic. And she was playing music, and she had a VR headset next to her. And you would stand in line in the dome waiting to do the experience. But at the same time, everyone else's experiences were projected on the wall. And it was amazing. And I got in there and I put on the headset. And when I finished, I just remember walking to the subway and it was like a bitterly cold day out. Uh, It was like so and I was just so moved by everything. And it was really revolutionary for me, that one experience. And so I spent a lot of time that year, I was still working for a music tech startup, and I wanted to finish up my engagement with them, but I spent a lot of time learning about VR and learning about AR then, writing about it, getting into the space, sort of dipping my toes in. I did a panel at South By on music and VR where I met the founder of Moth and Flame. He and I hit it off. I started working with them. Uh, I worked with them for about a year on a lot of different projects that you mentioned. And then... I they pivoted to be more of an AI uh, company. So they have these artificial intelligence products that are really cool. Um, but I wanted to stay working on VR and AR. So I split off, uh, founded my own agency, and I've been working on that for the past year. Uh, we've worked with a lot of different clients. We work with Verizon. We work with a lot of different ad agencies. Um, and we do a full range of services. So it's been a really fantastic experience.
0: Amazing. And Tatiana, obviously, you're a musician, but now you're an expert in uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain, correct? Could you explain how that transition happened?
1: Well, if you told me six years ago that I would be at the cross section of finance and technology, I, I would probably have laughed in your face because <laughs> I'm not a person that's a fan of tech, and I really am not into finance. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I did see a lot of problems in the music industry, and I saw a lot of problems facing the world today. So. I think what really brought me to Bitcoin was um, more of an ideological kind of struggle and and a desire to improve mankind. And I thought of Bitcoin as a better solution. I had done a lot of political activism back in 2012, especially um, supporting Ron Paul. And that was great because it gave me my niche audience and, you know, I, I really found my tribe, so to speak. But that as a path for solutions in terms of politics, I was like, forget this nonsense. (laughs) Um, And also I found that as a musician that really wanted to use music to bring people together, sometimes leading with politics was not a good way to bring people together. So the nice thing about cryptocurrency is is that it's actually like it's in action, right? It's not a, a holding up of a sign and a begging for permission. It's saying... I believe that the world can be better, and I'm going to use this technology to bring more transparency and bring this uh, vision that I have to millions of people all around the world. Uh, that idea of decentralization, I think, is really rock and roll. Uh, so I ended up writing um, a Bitcoin jingle because I thought, well, telling people about the Federal Reserve is certainly not going to win them over. <laughs> uh, so I ended up uh, doing a Bitcoin jingle, which was accepted by the community, and you know, people really liked it because it had a lot of that. Um, that spirit that that really brought a lot of people together, uh, and then in two thousand and fourteen, we decided to create the world's first artist cryptocurrency. So what we did was it it allowed artists to um, basically connect directly with their fans, uh, use artist cryptocurrencies of their own, sort of like a digital gift certificate, in order to raise money from your fans, like a Kickstarter but then also have other layers enabled by that direct connection now that you have. So perhaps you could message directly with your favorite artists, you can have token exclusive experiences. And um, and we use that to fund my third album, which was funded completely with cryptocurrency called Amazing. Keep the Faith, and I actually have it out on TuneCore. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so Thank we've you. sort of evolved from that and we have created a platform and now I have this marketing company, and I'm fully immersed in the, in the crypto space. And it's nice because you get so many new industries that you get a cross-section of. I never would have known anything about AR and VR. and Like, music and crypto kind of brought us together, me and Courtney. So,
0: amazing, yeah. Maybe I should uh, back up just for a moment. Could you give a sort of just like a what is blockchain, what is cryptocurrency? Is it possible to give like a short definition of that for the uninitiated? Or even point to a bet, you know, a great place for the people to like who want to learn more.
1: Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think cryptocurrencies are sort of ever evolving, so these terms that we use are sort of also ever evolving. Uh, what I think that people should do if they want to learn more about it is uh, let's talk Bitcoin is a podcast that uh, some of my friends put together, but they're also really great at making a really cool podcast. They've had they're having their five year anniversary. Uh, so it's uh, Adam B. Levine, let's um, Andreas Antonopoulos, and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. So they all sort of talk about it, and they've got different perspectives. Um, but the space has gone from simply Bitcoin functioning as a as a currency into what you might have heard lately is you know blockchain tech, right? And when people say blockchain, they're really referring to the underlying ledger that allows you to store information and records, and uh, basically like a database that is a lot more secure than something that you're normally going to get a lot of times because of the fact that people are all vetting it and it's transparent so you know you can't cheat because everybody else is watching type thing
0: amazing and i think we should also i guess dive back into can you give a definition of what is ar and the differences in vr
2: sure so augmented reality or ar is a digital layer on top of the physical world so uh the most obvious use cases are something like pokemon go Um, you know, something like, uh, I'm just trying to think of other good examples. Yeah. Pokemon Go is sort of the most basic one. There's been a lot of games and puzzles and things where you can project, uh, digital objects into a physical space. So that's augmented reality. Virtual reality is an immersive experience, potentially interactive and best viewed, through a headset. So virtual reality has two sort of main types. There's three degrees of freedom. That's something you would see through a headset like the Samsung Gear or um, a Google Cardboard. And that's something where you can look around but you can't really physically move in a space. The other type of VR is six degrees of freedom. That's something typically experienced through an HTC Vive or an Oculus Rift, those are higher end headsets. And that's something where you can interact with the content so you can walk around, If you move, the content will move with you, and um, those have controllers where you can actually change the scenarios and be much more interactive.
0: Amazing. Um, And then, so both of you worked somewhat with brands and agencies. So before we get into music, let's talk about sort of what you see, how both are being used by brands or agencies um, effectively and maybe sort of like... Where you think it might be going and then we'll get to see how it can be applied for the independent music space. You want to start Tatiana.
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that one of the easiest um, points of contact, right, would be developing more um, uh, loyalty systems. So, uh, how can brands keep connected with their with their fan base? You know, and um, I guess it's not a fan base, right? With their customers, sure. um, and and I think that cryptocurrency really offers something very unique. It also offers those brands the opportunity to own that relationship. I think so many brands have been burned using the Facebooks and uh, of the world, where they don't actually have access to their fans anymore, and. I keep saying fans.
0: That's all right. You could be a fan of Taco Bell.
1: I'm a fan of kombucha. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think that there's a, there's a lot of opportunities opening up for them to be direct with blockchain and also being a little bit ahead of the curve. But as far as actually being able to use it, I think that we're we're still struggling to find products that are really ready for a regular old consumer to, to integrate with. So mm-hmm. people are interested, but the actual administration of that is still a little behind.
2: But I feel like there's some companies, like, uh, what's the, there's one company in particular that's an online marketplace that's really into Bitcoin, and they take crypto. Um, Overstock? Oh, yeah. Well, Overstock has been um, a
1: big supporter of cryptocurrency since the very beginning. So, um, and they... But, you know, I mean, there's a couple of different ways to use it, right? You can accept Bitcoin or you can accept cryptocurrency or you can start creating, you know, utility tokens for your for your, you know, customers and stuff. Or you can give experience tokens and you can create digital scarcity. And it, there's a whole bunch of different opportunities there for all different kinds of brands. And, and, you know, even like the ICO model, people talk about the in, uh, initial coin offering, you know, that, that also democratizes it for people mm-hmm. where not every brand ne- necessarily needs to be fully developed before they can start engaging with their community. So you get a little bit of a head start there.
0: So do you think that it is or I guess what's the difference between, say, an artist working with? An established coin say a bitcoin and creating their own coin like a tatiana coin should artists be focusing one way or the other to sort of bring it into the musicians community
1: well accepting cryptocurrency is really easy i mean you just slap a qr code on there you know watch like a video on youtube to how to do it for five minutes and that's that right and so it's not very difficult are you going to get a million uh bitcoin donations Eh. I don't know, because there's not that many people who have Bitcoin. I mean, realistically, everybody wants to say, oh, I'll have millions. Well, no, you won't. (laughs) But if you hold on to those little little snippets of Bitcoin, you might have millions later on. Right. So then when you uh, create your own cryptocurrency, it's like you're creating your own ecosystem, your own direct line. And this is still a pretty new concept. You know, we started out with this years ago, and only now have we built out the technology that kind of allows you to interact. Um, So... I think that that's really the future of where artists are going to end up because there's so many ways to monetize things that you weren't able to monetize before. Um, But we're still a little bit away from actually administering that and being able to take advantage of it right now. You could be an early adopter but you're not gonna get your entire fan base to buy your coin and make millions. You know what I mean? You have to be a little bit more realistic, Mm -hmm. which was a a rude awakening for me as somebody who didn't have tech experience. I thought that things just came from the sky. You know, I thought, (laughs) okay, well now it's just gonna work and I'm gonna press a button and it doesn't work like that at all. So that's been uh, a little bit tricky, but a good exercise. Is it (laughs) an
0: educational effort to get your fans to even understand what you're offering? You know,
1: okay. no it's it's a struggle to launch products in an environment that is unstable from a regulatory I see. perspective I see. so it's too risky for a company you know Courtney and I we work together on token.fM which is the platform that you can use Tatiana coin with theoretically and we were ready to launch it uh, q3 of last year you know it would have been a little beta version but we were ready to go sure. and basically our attorneys told us that you know there's such an uncertain environment right now that you run the risk by being the first through the door of getting shot first too. And mm. the last thing that we wanted to do is put artists at risk or si. set our company up to fail with a $3 million legal bill in year one and two because you have to fight the SEC on something that's completely unclear. So I think that that's really been a big challenge. Teaching people about it is is another thing and that's just something that you, you deal with with the regular business. But luckily, blockchain is so, uh, you know, everybody's talking about crypto now. And it's not like four or five years ago when I was telling people about music and Bitcoin, they were like, please stop talking to me. And now everybody says, oh, tell me all about it. <laughs> tell I agree that Bitcoin is good. <laughs> you know, is it going up? Yeah. <laughs> so now people are a little bit more open-minded and, uh, and the space is evolving and it's getting a lot easier to use it.
0: I was at South by Southwest and I just, I saw a gentleman basically hold court at a bar with just strangers who just they overheard him talking about bitcoin and <laughs> just this group of people just all just crowded around like tell me more <laughs> and so it was pretty interesting to sort of uh, uh hear an explanation from somebody to strangers and just the questions that arose but sort of back to what you were talking about so mm-hmm. it's more of the regulation than the education that sort of has prevented sort of like more of a widespread uh, launch of it yeah in, in, in a way well
1: yeah. we're also pretty early like mm-hmm. i think that people have envisioned certain things and building things is you know vision and, and actually building it are two different things but at this point i think that you know the regulation is really in our case, at least preventing us. I mean, we, it would be great if we could launch right now. Right. I would be super happy, and I think a lot of artists would be happy with that product. But because the government's so you know overbearing in that, and they want to make sure everybody's safe, well, now artists can't make their music. So and
0: so the regulation you'd say is unclear at this point, and that's what's it's cert-
1: unclear, and also, yeah, it's it's mainly that it's unclear, and it looks like you might be accidentally issuing securities, and then what does that uh-huh. look like? And even if you're not doing anything wrong, it's fighting people in court is so expensive. It sucks out your whole entire thing. So with Tokenly, which is the parent company for Token.fm, they're launching their e-commerce solution because that's a much easier play. They're not going to why go out the gate with the thing that's the most difficult. But we are all super passionate about the music because for me as an artist, I always thought. Uh, you know, artists are are such great communicators and we're also sort of the bearers of, of, you know, the truth. In a lot of ways, you know, we're coming to people we're saying, this is the way. And and if you can get artists to understand this admittedly complicated thing, maybe they can go out and, like, take the nerd off of it and put some little (laughs) artist stuff on there and then all of a sudden people will be like, oh, this is cool. Because it's not just something for banks to take advantage of or large Mm -hmm. industry to take advantage of. To me, what's so exciting about Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies is the power of the people in full color. You know, I mean, this is like some right. radical stuff. Right. So you got to get artists to talk about that because radical stuff is what artists are good at. You know, I'm not going to listen to some like lawyer guy <laughs> tell me about stuff. I don't hear him. <laughs> but I, that that's sort of my my play on it.
0: I think, George, on your podcast even sort of talked about that, how music is sort of a canary in the coal mm-hmm. mine or an incubator oftentimes leading um the revolution in many spaces, and uh, that definitely struck home with me as a sort of as a you know sort of a, a statement that I agreed with. So Courtney, um, what about how is AR and VR being adopted? Let's start with a little bit about sort of music brands, but also let's talk about individual artists, if you can.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, so there's two different uh, things to talk about. One is VR, and VR has been used by brands. Um, you know, I think a lot of brands experimented in the space within the last year or two, mm-hmm. um, many of them, honestly, they swung and they missed. Okay. Um, there's not a great understanding in the brand community about how to correctly use virtual reality. So that's one thing that I'm in here trying to fix on a day-to-day basis is not only that you should sort of, yeah, try out VR cause it's this neat new thing, but there's actually a, a correct way to do it and an incorrect way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some
0: of those big mistakes? Not you don't have to point out the companies, but just sort of the common mistakes you see.
2: Well, so one mistake I see a lot, which is actually very easy to avoid, is making people sick. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people make like VR roller coaster experiences, <laughs> which is the worst thing you could ever do. Basically, I mean, unless you want to like make people throw up everywhere. Right. Uh, you know, my that, goal is
0: vomiting. <laughs> yeah, if your goal is vomiting,
2: please do that. But if you, you know, basically it tricks your inner ear basically into thinking like. Parts of you are moving even though you're not. Mm-hmm. So that's just a terrible thing to do. That, that's out. Um, I think a lot of brands don't have a clear goal in mind when they make VR experiences for the most part. So they just make something because they think it's interesting or fun or they want to try it out. But there's no sort of set goal or set return that they're looking for. Where we do see a lot of success with virtual reality right now is in training. So our main mm-hmm. projects are training people. Uh, it's not as sexy and glamorous, but it's there's a much clearer return on investment it's you know really useful. There's a lot of research that shows how useful it is. So that's where we sort of see VR as being the type of thing that people are going to use at work and in school, and mm-hmm. then it's going to go into the home. So it's basically like the personal computer. People have computers at work and school, and then eventually people have computers in the home. For augmented reality, brands are just now starting to play with it because it is so new. One mm-hmm. of the things that is a limiting factor for augmented reality is that it has to be viewed in an app. It can't be viewed in a web browser okay. yet. So, yet. that's Love important. The yet. So, the yet is important. So, we are actually one of the first companies to work on augmented reality for the web. Uh, we've built a lot of prototypes and experimental browsers, and web AR should be out at the end of this year. So, basically, what that means is if you're a brand or an artist or anyone who wants to build an AR experience, uh, you can distribute it via, you know, the web browser. And that's going to make it so much easier for people to engage with it. That breaks down any of the friction where you have to download an app or build Mm -hmm. it into an app or deal with that. So that's where we're really excited in terms of people that are doing AR really well. The New York Times has done some really interesting stuff. They recently did the David Bowie uh, costumes in augmented reality, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. That piece also had an ad uh, from BMW that was also an AR experience that you could basically walk around and walk through a portal So those are really cool. Um, And yeah, I think brands are going to really pick up on augmented reality this year and artists as well.
0: Mm -hmm. With AR, there's no need for the headset. That's just restricted to VR or some AR require headsets or glasses as well.
2: Yeah, so some AR does. So there's different types of augmented reality and different types of augmented reality headsets. So you can definitely do augmented reality through a phone. um, And that's great. And that's, you know, a lot of people have smartphones. Most people at this point have smartphones, so like that's you
0: said, a, pr- it's less friction, though.
2: Yeah, yeah, and once you're the web, there's going to be no friction. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, unless clicking a link is friction, which I don't <laughs> think we've gotten that lazy. Um, so that's going to be huge. There are VR. I'm sorry, there are AR glasses. Um, there's a pair called the Vizix, and there's the Microsoft Hololens. Among others, there's others. Mm-hmm. Most of those are really for commercial and industrial use at this point. So Visix glasses are great. We're actually working on some projects for them, but you know, those are for like industrial workers. They're not, I mean, you can go buy a pair right now, but you have no reason to if you're just right. an average person. The HoloLens is kind of the same thing. It's big, it's expensive, it's great for enterprise uses. I haven't seen many great consumer uses for the HoloLens. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we will get to glasses. Um, Apple, I'm guessing, because Apple tends to do this, will sort of let other people iterate and learn and fail. And then Apple's going to come out with something incredible that we're all going to be wearing in a few years. Right. So that's going to change how we interact with the world and how we interact with content. And that's what gets me really excited. But in the meantime... I think the phone is still a great delivery mechanism for augmented reality.
0: Mm-hmm. And for VR, obviously, you would need a headset. Um, is that is that a big friction point for people?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the headsets are still fairly expensive, especially the Six Degrees of Freedom headsets. Mm-hmm. You also need a really powerful gaming computer to run most of the applications on the Six Degrees of Freedom headsets. So there's a significant cost there. The Oculus Go, which is a Three Degrees of Freedom headset, that's going to be out fairly soon, I think next month. And that's a headset where you can just sideload the content. Um, you don't need a phone. You don't need anything. And that's a $199 price point. So that's where I do see some early-ish adopter mainstream penetration happening. Um, so that's going to be really exciting. But I do think, again, we are a little further off with VR for commercial use.
0: Hmm. Do you think that education, uh, Tatiana, do you think education is one of the frictions for people embracing uh, blockchain as an artist or, and you said something, you know, regulation as well for sort of uh, as well, but I guess sort of what's the friction in, you see Understanding
1: happening? it, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, that was what was weird with me. And and that's why I did it through music was because even though I understood ideologically why I should like Bitcoin that still wasn't, I mean, right. I was like, hardcore, I understood it. So that's why I wanted to bring it to music. Um, and I think that artists, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if artists are so into finance, but they are definitely into into exploring and to trying new things out. So I think that education is important, and hopefully they'll be open-minded to that. But I definitely think it could be challenging, especially if you're hearing about it from, like, a blockchain bro You know, you really got to hear it from somebody who's a little bit more uh, down to earth and maybe with a little bit less of a tech background. Like my podcast, The Tatiana Show, I make no bones about it. I'm not a tech person at all. But I actually think that that's helpful for people because if I don't understand something, I'm willing to be wrong and I'm willing for people to think I'm stupid because I know that there's way more people out there that also didn't know that but didn't want to ask the question because they felt stupid. So if you take away a little bit of the ego and look at it more of like a fun adventure into some sort of a weird unknown world instead of well let me tell you about the blockchain <laughs> <laughs> you know i think i think you're going to have a you're going to have a different experience
0: right i think yeah. you know ultimately there's going to be you know that first step of getting yourself familiar with the language of it but making it You know, for the every artist, for the every man, for the every woman, for the every person is key. (laughs) Well, you know, we
1: actually, me and a friend of mine, Dr. Stephanie Murphy from the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast, we made a Bitcoin 101 episode. Nice. And it was just two girls doing it. And I think that that actually, you know, we had a lot of good compliments because we weren't being all,
2: (laughs) my brains are so big. (laughs) We were
1: just, you know, (laughs) we were making it really fun. And I think that's the spirit that's needed.
2: And that's true in VR and AR as well. Um, You know, I've run into a lot of VR developers or people that have built VR experiences that are very technical people, and they build experiences that are not intuitive and are super complicated. And, you know, I've demoed a lot of these experiences, and I mean, I say to these people, look, this is what I do all day, every day, and if I can't figure this out, there's no way the average person will be able to figure this out. So you know, there's a there's a huge education curve, not nearly as much with, with cryptocurrency, I don't think, in the VR and AR space, but you do need people to constantly be reminded, like, you have to explain this stuff in very plain language, and you have to make stuff that is consumable by the average person, because that's the only way you're going to get mass market penetration.
0: In terms of uh, sort of experiencing it as a fan, or, you know, musicians are often music fans as well, what what opportunities are, for, are are great for people to sort of experience AR or VR for music? Like live shows, is that an, an opportunity or is that happening right now?
2: Um, yeah, I, I have changed my mind on this basically. Okay. So when I first started learning about virtual reality, my first thought was, oh my gosh, we can go to VR concerts, that's gonna be so great. Right. Uh, my thinking has evolved uh, to sort of put it mildly. I, you know, there are some companies in the space And to be very fair, I haven't seen some of what they are doing yet, so I do want to keep an open mind. But I have not personally, as of yet, seen a good VR concert. Mm -hmm. I think part of the issue is it's hard to replicate being at a concert, right? So much of it is physical, it's social, it's hanging out with your friends. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people tend to use the same tricks that they use when they're filming a concert. So the camera moves a lot, the perspective shifts a lot, and that's not realistic for virtual reality. So mm-hmm. because presence and being first person is so important in virtual reality, especially, um, you know, you're, you as a human are not going to be backstage and then in the crowd and then up at the soundboard and then behind the drummer. Like, that's just not, I mean, you could pick one perspective mm-hmm. and watch the show from there, which would be fantastic, but I haven't seen an experience that has allowed you to do that. Augmented reality it shows, I think, is more interesting. And there are some bands doing really cool stuff. So some of the easiest stuff to do is like custom filters, custom borders. Uh, you know, you can take pictures of the artist and then sort of add your own details. So that's a little bit more exciting. That's a little bit more, a little bit easier for artists to get into initially. So I think with augmented reality, there's going to be really cool visualization tools coming. So mm-hmm. I talk about data visualization a lot in augmented reality. But I also think for live music, you can do cool visualizations where, you know, you can have another layer of sort of technology happening along with the music and everyone's on their phone at a concert anyway, right. unless you're like a Jack White show. Right. But, <laughs> you know, I think for most artists, they want their fans to engage. And right. if everyone's on their phones already, why not make it more fun and engaging?
0: And then how do you th- how is it best um, conveyed to the audience members like, hey, you know, this opportunity to, is available for you at my concert. Like, how do, you, how do you make the audience aware of these, you know, AR opportunities at a show?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. Just sort of saying it, you know, putting it on the tickets, putting it, you know, making the link pretty readily available. I mean, not everyone's going to do it. That's mm-hmm. fine. People experience live music differently, and that's all good. But, yeah, just sort of promoting, the, promoting that it's available, just like you would promote anything else at a show, and getting people excited about it and getting people excited about sharing it and, you know, even basic stuff like making sure the venue you're at has good enough service, good enough Wi-Fi right. or good right. enough, you know, and that's, I mean, that's the hurdle that we hit a lot of the time. I know, well, by the time this airs, Coachella will be over, but that's always one of the challenges with a festival like Coachella is they know when it happens every year. Right. They clearly know it's going to be big every year. And yet every time I, you know, every time people go, it's like, oh, I have no cell service. Right. So it's. Basic, basic stuff like that that you need to solve for.
0: Yeah, I guess what do you have to get um, sort of permission or you know buy in from a lot of venues in order to launch some, some sort of campaign like this? Or no, is, like I you wouldn't is, think so.
2: I mean, I mean, look, if the venue also wants to promote it, that's probably useful and helpful. But uh, you wouldn't. I mean, again, as long as the service in the venue is OK, you wouldn't necessarily need permission to do it right
0: no extra permissions and so is it i mean i guess for the average artist is it a a a big expense to try to launch something like this or you know i guess it depends on your budget but can you talk about the expense of it
2: sure so i actually wrote a piece for the spotify for artists blog about a month ago on um, virtual reality and how artists can do it more or less expensively so you can create interesting 360 video content uh, as an independent artist on a budget if that's something you're interested in. You mm-hmm. just have to make sure that it is good. Um, I would encourage artists to get 360 cameras, use them; they're not that expensive. And if anything, you'll learn. I I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can definitely make that content, and that's still going to be fun and interesting for AR. The challenge is right now because it's sort of it has to be in an app. Uh, it limits what you can do. But, you know, you can always do Snapchat filters, right. and those are actually super easy to create. I mean, I've played with the Snapchat Studio and Snapchat Lens, I think it's called. And, I mean, you can make those super quick, geota- geolocate them for your venue or surrounding your venue, and I think mm-hmm. those are 5 10 bucks. 10 So right. that's an easy way to at least get started and play around and be creative.
0: Right, and have, some, have the experience at the, the live show not just about taking pictures but participatory.
2: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
0: And then what about um, in terms of like, you know, how does how does blockchain or cryptocurrency, how does that get sort of incorporated into the live show or touring or like paying with blockchain? Like, I guess sort of like how does it where does that world meet the live uh, performance space or you know, world?
1: Um, well, something I do uh, that's kind of fun and it's really, really super simple is I have put a QR code on my guitar. So, and I'll like literally just take a piece of paper with a QR code on there. And so then people are able to do that. But again, like for the actual experiences, you really need the infrastructure in Mm -hmm. order to be able to integrate with somebody, right? Mm Because it's like, if you don't have that, that point, you know, you can, of course, bring in and, for example, do uh, tickets on the blockchain or something. Right. Or if you get, if you were a certain token holder that, you know, was one of the first hundred people that bought the album, you get to go backstage or stuff like that. And you can do those permissions uh, by generating uh, digital tokens, different things like that. I don't know, Courtney, any ideas?
0: What about merch? Do, are, you, are, are artists accepting co- you know, coins for merch?
1: Yeah, if they want to. Mm -hmm. Why not? Yeah, I mean, it's just like saying, like, do you accept money?
0: Right. Um,
1: And the only difficulty for people is is if they can get it out of, you know, how to get into quote-unquote real money. Um, And that can really be solved quite easily these days. I mean, you can use Coinbase, set up it with your, you know, bank account, and boom, you can cash out right away. Um, I like to try and go through friends and stuff, because peer-to-peer is is the Bitcoin spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean just like with any kind of money you can you can accept it for sure okay yeah but i think some of the fan engagement stuff we're gonna have to wait until the space progresses
0: yeah i i I think about that you know like the where does the theory meet the rubber on the road you know i think that's what a lot of this conversation is about because you know we're talking about it you're reading about it but like how is it applicable for artists and you know um i guess sort of are there interesting things you've seen other artists, you know, specific artists uh, do in uh, at the live space for either of these um, areas? And maybe not, you know, maybe, like you said, it's sort of like to come, you know, based on sort of like where we are in the industry and um, experience.
2: Yeah, live is still really early. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely for VR music videos. I mean, I've seen some really cool ones. Uh, Run the Jewels has a great one called Crown. Uh, A friend of mine worked on something for a band called Golden Suits that was very simple. That's actually mentioned in the piece that I wrote for Spotify. Um, Yeah, and then you get some sort of really cool uh, interactive experiences. There's one called Chocolate, and there's one called Butts. (laughs) Um, And those are, one is a Future Island song, and I forget what the other song is, Mm -hmm. but they're really psychedelic, trippy. Um, They were funded by Viacom, or one of them was funded by Viacom at least. They're animated. There's, like, dancing cats, and it's completely insane and really, really fun. And I feel like... There have been some higher end music VR pieces that have been sort of one-offs funded by different places. I don't see a steady, a steady stream of those, but yeah, there's some really good ones. If you have a headset and you're willing to sort of poke around a little bit, there's definitely some good stuff out there.
0: Where would be, where would the, be the best place for fans to go find sort of like a, you know, a repository of like...
2: Hmm. That's, a, that's actually hard because there's not... So YouTube obviously has a mm-hmm. lot in terms mm-hmm. of 360 video. so... You know, YouTube is probably a good place for 360 video. Mm-hmm. Um, the Oculus Store, if you have an Oculus uh, headset. The Steam Store, if you have a Vive. Mm-hmm. But it's it's tricky. A lot of a it is scattered. hidden in... Yeah, it's very scattered. A lot of stuff is still built for one-offs and experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard, right? Like I've had people tell me about this amazing VR experience that I have to <laughs> see, and I'm, uh, and I'm so excited. And I'm like, oh my God, where do I download this? And they're like, oh, it's in the company's headquarters in Sweden, so no one can see it. And that's right. really frustrating, right. right? It's one thing if it's an internal training app. Obviously, I get that. I can't download like Verizon's customer service training VR app. That's not for public use. But you know, I think one of the challenges with VR, especially higher-end VR, is that it's just not distributed. And there are things like Tribeca has a great sort of immersive film festival you can buy tickets for. That's mm-hmm. really fun. I would highly encourage people to check that out. There's events. There's you know VR conferences usually have cool things, but it's tough. The distribution problem has not been solved.
0: I understand. And then in terms of um, releases that are you know I guess um, blockchain based, what where could some is there a, a platform that focuses on that? And if so, is it sort of is it wide scale, You know is it is it being adopted by um, the consumers yet?
1: No, not really. I mean, anybody can accept Bitcoin. But beyond that, there's not like a bunch of artists that are only funding through crypto.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As far as I know, I don't even know of any artists that, that funded their record with crypto necessarily fully. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's really, really early on. Uh, people are testing it out. But without the infrastructure where people can actually interact with it, it's like, you know, it, we, we've still got a little bit before people can actually play with it beyond just making a donation or something.
0: Right. So what would you, you know, we're sort of wrapping up here. What what sort of words of encouragement or advice or just sort of like, hey, look in this direction would you have for the musicians who are really interested in this, either just knowing more about it or incorporating it into their career?
1: Um, Well, if you have an experience that's at all like mine, which is, as an artist, struggling to find your fans, to find your funding, working 15 jobs trying like 50 million ways, you know, dealing with creepy slimy dudes being like, I'll make you famous, baby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and despite all that, like there there are tools right now that are available that are being developed that can lead to your freedom. So don't be intimidated by the fact that it's, look, if I can pay attention to Bitcoin for more than three minutes, anybody can, you know, really get past <laughs> the initial fear and really fall in love. And, and I think that you'd really be not only empowering yourself but empowering your communities because you become that person that knows about that and if you see the way that it's being used and and how it's sort of changing shifting things and you could become part of that revolution
0: and i think a lot of just sort of the you know say the lay people think like oh bitcoin how do i make money on of it and and I think musicians are like have to think like how does this help my you know like career and how do I you know build communities out of it.
1: Time out. No, I would say you can make money off of it. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> I would encourage you all to buy like you know even if you've got fifty bucks or a hundred bucks. I know how hard it is to even set that aside, but the if if you can afford to lose it, it's a better spend than you know going to some stupid casino or something. Sure. Uh, yeah. And you're investing in in an ecosystem of people trying to do something okay. good. On Great.
0: top of it and Courtney yeah just sort of like what's the what's the first piece of advice or like you know sort of like an overarching like thing you would recommend to artists who either want to incorporate it or just learn more uh...
2: so I would say if you want to do VR get a 360 camera Samsung has one that is a totally decent place to start um, obviously it's not something you're going to want to use professionally but it's fantastic if you just want to learn right the most important thing when you're shooting in VR is to pay attention to perspective. So, that's gonna teach you how to do that if you have the 360 camera. It's very hard to think about it from sort of a flat screen perspective, which mm-hmm. is what we're all used to. So, that's the advice for VR. For AR, I would say at this point, just start being creative. So, your best place to play right now is in Snapchat. Uh, Facebook, I know, is rolling out a ton of different AR things that you can play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spotify has QR codes for artists, right. which right now that's just sort of letting you follow the artist. I I have to imagine they're going to start incorporating VR around those QR. i co- sorry, AR around those QR codes as well. So yeah, I would say just start playing with it and being creative, and be ready for augmented reality, especially to blow up very quickly.
0: Quickly, could you explain how an artist would use those Spotify um, AR codes?
2: Right. So those don't exist yet. Okay. Um, so basically, you they have a QR code. I mean, sorry, QR um,
0: code. That's what I meant to say. I so apologize.
2: yeah. So artists. Um, I don't know I don't forget exactly how it works, but I think if you just go on your Spotify for artist page, mm-hmm. it's an option. So basically gotcha. you can you get a QR code that is unique to your band or your home page on Spotify. Just put it on your posters, print out stickers. I mean people have done really creative things, but just you know put it on the merch table um, and then people can use their phone to scan it, use their phone's camera, and then that will automatically uh, you will automatically follow them on follow that artist on Spotify.
0: Right. So, tell us uh, where you want, where uh, our listeners can follow you or learn more about what you're up to. You want to start, Tatiana?
2: Sure. Uh,
1: they can go to tatianamoroz.com, T A T I A N A M O R O Z.com. They can also check out token.fm. Hopefully we'll get around the regulators somehow and do it right. (laughs) No one's looking to go to jail. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Queen Tatiana, and my company's Crypto Media Hub, so people can go there. Thank you. Or if they want to learn about Bitcoin, they can listen to my podcast, The Tatiana Show, and I won't bore you, hopefully.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Uh, So I am on Twitter at Courtney Harding, and that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y, Harding. I'm also on Instagram if you like dog photos, uh, which you should. You should. Uh, You can definitely follow me there. Um, My company is Friends with Holograms, and our website is friendswithholograms.com. Our Twitter is a hologram friend. I couldn't get Friends with Holograms, alas. Uh, And then you can follow us on Facebook. So, yeah, we're we're pretty easy to find. Oh, and also, I should pitch, I have two books, uh, both available on Amazon.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, I hope everybody um, comes out of this more educated the way I feel. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us.